BS7 with Chris Lester. I have to say that the BS show is the most aptly named show on the fucking planet. A podcaster talked to me about talked to me about the podcasting circle jerk. That was me. And oh my god, you can't possibly be this bored. You mortals are so clumsy. Watch your step, Jaffe. I'm right behind you. And you're listening to 12 Volt Theater. Move along. Hello, everybody. I'm Jack Jaffe, author of the interactive dark fiction fantasy podcast, Down the Road. Now, Down the Road is an interactive story in which I allow the listeners to write in essays, take part in polls, send in audio submissions, all of which become part of a living novel. But in between segments of the novel, I have to wait for the votes to come in which I use as a pretty good excuse to fanboy and bother the living crap out of a whole bunch of podcasters I like to talk about and talk to. Today, I get to interview Chris Lester, uh, Metamore City Podcast. Now, many of you guys know about his origins with the Metamore Keep Project and how it evolved into Metamore City, so we skip past all the uh, nice how-do-you-do stuff. This was recorded uh, before the Parsecs, which, unfortunately, Chris Lester did not win for... Uh, best anthology series or for best short fiction although he did pick up a podcasting peer award which was pretty cool okay i have a little bit of news i'd like to share with the audience a friend and fellow podcast writer sam chupp of the bears grove podcast and the podcast novel heart of the hunter uh has finished writing on heart of the hunter and he only has about two more episodes left to record so if you're into the uh sword and sorcery genre of podcasts uh there is a complete or soon to be complete full novel that you may not have heard about called heart of the hunter it got some pretty good reviews from both wonder wolf as well as uh some accolades from indiana jim over on twitter so please go to www.heartofthehunter.com uh to check out sam's book uh i often like to joke that he's perhaps one of the uh podcast authors with the most writing credits to his name, seeing how he wrote both Changeling and Wraith the Oblivion, uh, two major uh, White Wolf publications back in the early 90s. And this signifies his glorious and triumphant return to fiction writing. And I would love to see all you guys uh, uh, check out Heart of the Hunter and give it a try and and, and see if it's for you, because that's what all podcast fiction's about, you know? It doesn't cost you anything to give these guys a listen. And I appreciate you guys listening to 12 Volt Theater. Now, I'm kind of over-explaining what 12 Volt Theater is about uh, because there's a good chance this might actually be simulcast over on Metamore City's feed. And if you're listening to me on Metamore City feed, hello, hi, yes, I am Trucker Overdrive, the guy that did all those dumb joust frogger jokes over on Slice of Sci-Fi. I do write <laughs> some pretty claimed audio fiction, uh, which is not for the squeamish and not definitely, definitely not for children. But if you're a fan of Metamore City, uh, well, you shouldn't be underage anyway. Uh, I got to interview Chris Lester, and uh, it was a lot, a lot of fun to talk to him. Um, you know, people like Chris Lester, all you have to do is just put a mic in front of them, and, and the interviews are almost done. So, uh Anyway, it was, a, it was a blast, and I hope you guys enjoy this uh, candid chat with Chris Lester.
Hi, everybody. This is the BS Show with Chris Lester. Woohoo! Thank you for joining us, Chris. How's it going, buddy? Great to be here. <laughs> Great to be here. Yay. Oh, man. So how, how's the move going? Do you want on your massive road trip, which you Twittered about? Mm-hmm. Well, I've got um, all my stuff unpacked now, all the stuff that I brought with me. Um, got a very snazzy new corner desk from uh, listener Rowan Fairgrove, and uh, you know, she was not using it anymore, so she and her husband brought it over here last weekend, and we got it all set up. So now I've got my computer in place and all of my books and DVDs on shelves, and it's starting to feel uh, lived in, so... Still don't have a dresser yet to put my clothes in, so they're kind of all stuffed up over top of the the coat rack in the the closet. But uh, you know, it's it's in good enough shape that I can live here now. Also, the word I use is the souder souder furniture, flat packed. It's cheaper to throw out than it is to move with you. It's great stuff. It's actually less than a dollar a pound for furniture. I had such a bad experience with the uh, chintzy desk that I attempted to construct um, when I first got here that I am forever after leery of any <laughs> furniture that comes in a box. Uh, well, see, Souter's made in Ohio, and I'm Ohioan, so I, I, I got I to gotta root for my own, you know. So you, you, you moved off, uh, off uh, uh, the... Um out of the Midwest, from uh, the Motor City out to La La Land. So, uh, it, it... oh no, I am most definitely not in La La Land. But oh. So SoCal is another world completely from Northern California. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm in Berserkly. Thank you very much. Berserkly. Okay. Oh man. So, uh, all right. The, the silly question which I have to ask: What are you going to do the first time one of your students comes in with a Metamore City T-shirt? Um. <laughs> I'm going to ask, who did you beat up to get that thing? Because they're not available for sale right now. Oh, um, well, the, the, you know, there's always eBay, man. Come on. Then I'm going to find out who they bought it from and then uh, find out who in my loyal staff of Metamorphs has ceased to be loyal. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, well, that's the thing, though. I mean, with just Googling your name as Chris Lester and being a teacher, um, you know, I, I write underneath the pseudonym, and I don't even tell anyone which company I, I work for. So I, I, I was curious about that, though. I mean, you know, are are you concerned about any conflicts? Um, not really. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, like, like uh, gosh darn it, what is his name? Seth Harwood. Okay. He's a he's a high school history professor and oh. you know, or history teacher rather, and look at the stuff that's in his stories. So if that hasn't gotten him fired, I'm not too worried about Metamore City at this okay. point. Well, I mean, realistically though, I'm, I'm not. I have many friends who are big fans of Seth Harwood, and he's he's a, he's a he's a gifted, talented writer, but it, he doesn't touch on as many issues as you do in your podcast and. To some degree, that kind of uh, I. Well, I mean, you take on issues. Uh, you're one of the few podcasters that I feel actually has a not necessarily. I wouldn't say a political agenda, but mm -hmm. you definitely have a political voice, and you're not frightened of, of having a statement that you know 
there is some message behind it about sexuality, uh, uh, about politics, about government, and, and you don't hold back about that stuff in, in your fiction, which I think That's really helps. Although I think that primarily what I'm doing is more asking questions than I am giving answers. Um, a lot of the stuff that I present in my stories, um, I wouldn't consider myself necessarily advocating. Um, right. It's more just, you know, exploring the, the political and social ramifications of these things. Um, I do have um, messages that I'm hoping people will take away from the fiction, but um, you know, they they tend to be things that are a bit subtler than, you know, oh yay, polyamory is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, um, yeah, I'll get into that one. Cut right there. I, yeah. I already saw some stuff to polyamory. So. I've got a, I, I do have a lot of uh, poly fans um, who have found the podcast through my connections uh, with Cunning Minx and Polyamory Weekly. You know, I, I'm certainly not going to uh, say anything, you know, degrading or, or um, bad about that. Those people, you know, they they're, they've been very good to me. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not uh, going to um, come out one way or another on that issue, other than to say that it's a a complicated uh, way of living your life that is not personally for me. But oh. it has a lot of interesting um, social ramifications that I enjoy exploring in my fiction. Oh, I can understand that. Well, no, I, I often find myself writing with protagonists that are very right-wing, um, or just characters that are very right-wing, even though I'm, well, I'm, I'm pretty much a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, but it, it, I find that the right-wing characters are just a little bit easier to draw, unfortunately, in a cardboard cutout format, because they're they're so black and white. They, you know, the, if you have a character that's sitting around arguing the the ramifications of whether or not they should do something, and they're trying to explore all sides, then you just end up with a lot of dialogue and nothing's really going forward. Um, I don't know if you've ran into that problem or not with any of your characters just getting them moving. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, certainly there are some uh, some of my characters are are of a philosophical bent and are definitely interested in raising the sorts of complicated difficult questions that don't have easy answers and what I usually end up doing with them is that they'll you know let them raise the the question and have one of the characters sort of wonder about it and then move on because that's what we have to do in real life too we get into these conversations it's like hmm I wonder about that oh wait I've got to deal with this now yeah. You were you uh, had a panel at Balticon, um, which you were talking about blended and mixed genres, uh, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Who were you on the panel with? Uh, with Connie Willis, and I feel really bad because I forget who the other person was. Who was? Oh, don't worry. Podcast. It's you, you and Connie Willis. That that's that's all we need to worry about, dude. Don't worry. Besides, <laughs> those people don't listen to podcasts anyway. They don't matter. Oh. Hey, I, I could be a so dick. I, I'm several thousand miles away from you, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, Jack Jaffe at... <laughs> actually, Jack Jaffe at gmail.com, do ease and Jaffe. Hey, go ahead and send me hate mail. That'll give you just something to put on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I can be a dick. I'm an underdog, you know. I gotta be the usurper. Uh, but yeah, you know, you're talking about blended genres, and, uh, one of the things I, which, which I asked earlier, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask, but I never got called on, was, um, do you think there is a, you think there's a way of telling stories that are unique or are somewhat original or at least exciting without blending genres in some way? I th- certainly think it's possible. I listen to um, and read a lot of stories that are in a, a variety of different genres that uh, I would consider, you know, pretty pretty classical examples of their respective genres. Um, ultimately, I don't think that originality is really something that we can hope for in terms of plot and theme because the uh, you know the purpose of storytelling if, you know, from a psychological point of view is to allow us as human beings to explore these deep uh, meaningful questions about what it means to be human what it means to have this experience of living on this muddy blue green ball of dirt <laughs> and uh, you know those those questions remain essentially the same regardless of what genre you're writing in and uh, you know there are different ramifications or different um wrinkles that can be explored better by some genres than others um just because you can use you know especially in science fiction and fantasy um you can essentially create a problem that allows you to take a, a, a real-world situation and sort of idealize it and place it into a, a sort of isolated laboratory experiment and uh, look at it without the complications of you know people's real-world baggage. A lot of people have done that um, exploring concepts behind um, different wars historically, um, you know, I think about the Forever War. That was Haldeman, I believe, um, who was basically he was writing about Vietnam, but he was writing about it in, you know, with the pastiche, if you will, of a, of a science fiction futuristic war, so that he could address the essential themes that were and questions that were raised by Vietnam without um, calling to the reader's mind all of the emotional and political baggage that were directly associated with the Vietnam War itself. And I'm sort of doing the same thing um, with a lot of the the themes that I'm exploring in uh, in Metamore City, but the, those, that's not the only way to do it. Um, I think it's an effective way to do it for a certain kind of audience and for a certain kind of author. But um, I think that ultimately the people who are writing literary fiction or mysteries or even romances are ultimately getting at the same essential questions as the people you know, as those of us who are writing in genre fiction what are some of the uh highlights that you're really uber jazzed about when they show up on your podcatcher that you're that, that you go ooh I got to listen to that one next when it comes out mm that's a good question um Definitely, uh, chasing the bard when it was running—that was—that was, that was uh, pretty much at the the top of my listening queue. Um, the uh, and Moravi is right up there too. Uh, 
Murder at Avedon Hill, my uh, my nemesis, P.G. Holyfield story. Uh, that one's very high priority. Uh, Nathan Lowell's Tales of the uh, the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper. Um, I kind of leave those until he's finished with them because they are like crack. <laughs> yeah. I start one, I cannot. I have to listen all the way to the end of it. So I I kind of. I, I listen to quarter share, half share, and full share in one mainlining rush. And so when double share came out, I, I've held off on starting it until I have time to give it my undivided attention. Um, the Heaven series by Mer Lafferty is the same way. I waited until it was all available and then did it all in one long rush and now I am jonesing for her to get the writing war so that I can find out how the thing ends. Yes. Um, well, so the all is is definitely at the top of uh, of my um must listen list also. Is that nocturnal? Mhm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really digging that story. Yeah, no, uh, if you listen to the two different versions of his uh Scott Sigler's Infected I have not. Infected is one that I, um, it was run, it had just started um, in its original form um, when I first got into podcasting. Hmm. And I was, you know, I I wasn't really interested in the, um, in the concept behind it that much. Okay. But uh, yeah, the first the first story by Scott that I listened to was the Rookie, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, all right. So, are there any guilty pleasures or or uh, in your in your eye ca- in your podcatcher that you don't most people don't or wouldn't suspect you listening to? Um. Well, Nocturnal for one. <laughs> nocturnal, really? Okay. Well, why wouldn't I mean, why wouldn't it? I I think that that Scott's style is is very different from mine. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly the, the graphic violence of it (laughs) is, uh, I think that that's, it's a a different approach to storytelling from what I tend to prefer for my own stuff. But the story is so good that I'm, I'm really enjoying it in spite of the fact that it's not the sort of thing that I usually listen to, um, The rookie kind of falls into that that too, but I've always been a sucker for those um, sports stories of the the guy struggling against the overwhelming odds. Even though I'm I'm so not a sports guy in my own life, okay. uh, maybe that's why I find it um, enjoyable because it's a sort of cathartic thing, and the way that he wove that in with the science fiction was uh, just really really cool for me. Um, in terms of other things people might not expect me listening to, um, I listen to, uh, I listen to polyamory weekly sometimes, um, partly that's for research, um, partly it's because I just love listening to Minx talk. <laughs> um, I also listen to, uh, to some of Nobilis Erotica, but, uh, I don't know, most of what I, I listen to people would probably... Um, hear me list it and say, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's cool. Well, like a uh, biology science, uh, marine biology podcast, or probably a lot of the sciences. 
podcast. I'm not listening to a lot of science podcasts. Um, I think because I'm so soaked into the science stuff in my day job that I, you know, listening to podcasts is where I go for my my taste of escapism. No, I, I understand. People ask me, do I listen to the tr- Trucker channel on, on, on XM? And it's like, no, I'd, I'd pass out if I tried. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right. Now, okay. Now, this is the spoilerific moment for you guys out there in podcast fic- podcasting land. They're listening to this. So if you have not listened to this point in Chris Lester's uh, 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 Making the Cut, okay, uh, you're a moron. Now Leave go back. Now. Leave now. Back. It's too late. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, now that all of you have turned up your iP- iPods and stuff, all right, you, 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 you had a really big twist in there, which I kind of saw coming, but honestly, I, I, I sometimes underestimate podcast, pod, podcast fiction writers that they're not willing to violate what is sold as the precept when. Danny Shrabi turns and says, no, I, I forget the, the female protagonist because she's been so off to the corner for so Rebecca? long. Rebecca, yeah, and he just says, no, I, I, you know what, screw you, I, I'm happy this way, I'm happy with this guy, you know, I did all this for you, but you ain't worth it. Um, was that a, a, was that planned from the beginning or was that just a natural evolution as you're following along with the character? Um, or you don't, you don't have to answer that one. You might not want to. I have to. I have to go back and look at my outline. I think that that was something that actually evolved over the course of um, <clears throat> some work that I was doing on the overall story arc for the series. Okay. Um, there is a. Uh, you know, there's the plan that you come up with initially, and then there's the plan as it actually unfolds. Right. And they frequently very different. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> one of the things that happened between when I finished my first outline for making the cut and when I actually started, you know, got to that point where I was writing it, is that I'd done a lot of fleshing out on what the overall um, story arc for the series was going to be. And uh, one of the things that had come up in the, the course of that was a particular um, trait that Jared Tamlin has that is going to have long-term significance for the story arc. Ah. So when that element of the ongoing story became fleshed out, it was natural for it to be reflected in the uh, the story itself. Initially, I, I didn't have anything worked out for the identity of the guy that, um, that Danny was going to uh, meet in order to explore her feminine sexuality. In the original outline, I um, just had you know that that character was kind of a placeholder um but as the overall story developed um Jared became a very important figure in the ongoing storyline and that it made sense to 
use this story as sort of his origins as well as the um the origins for Abby and for the uh, the cell the breeding cell that that Abby would eventually become part of and that's not a spoiler because that was revealed at the end of Troubled Minds so, okay you know, everybody knows that somehow Abby ends up in a cell with at least Brian and Fiona and Rebecca because you see all of them at the end of that story um, but the question of how things get to that point is one that is going is being explored over the course of this story. Well, when you reach that point, though, were you worried that you were going to destroy the story concept and that was going to fall apart from that point by taking that 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 leap against what you what you already said or what, what you yeah, already? I knew why Danny had done it, um, okay. and. There's, you know, at this point, it should be blindingly obvious to anyone who has been following the story and paying attention to the characters that there is something wrong with Danny. Yeah. So, I don't know, either either that or Rebecca's just not worth it, you know? I, I don't know. She, she, honestly, I don't feel like she's really like, He's gone to like so far for this girl, and I don't see her really lifting. Give her time. Give her time. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, this is the start. Uh, you know this that chapter. Um, chapter 15 was where Rebecca, you know, came started coming out to the fore, and you know, as I was writing the story. After I finished chapter 14, I realized that um, Rebecca had to step up and make herself worthy of the, uh, you know, of being the heroine of this story. Okay. And uh, so you'll you'll see her playing her part over the next several chapters. Oh, that's so. good. Patience, grasshopper. <laughs> All right. The other question I had, though, is now a lot of other podcasters, I sometimes, because I'm writing as I go, uh, I end up putting in a cliffhanger or something to try to keep the audience going. But in making the cut, there was a long swath of just character development, character building um, with Danny, um, where there wasn't as much action, there wasn't as mu- much movement, there was more development. And I noticed at least because a lot of the podcast fiction, people know they're going to podcast it out, so they write it as kind of episodic. They want that kind of punch at the end. Um, were, were you conscious of that, or are you worried about that, that there's not going to be, you know, a, a, a big ticking time bomb at the end of every every episode? I, I consider it a um, a favor to my my listeners that I'm not ending every single episode on a cliffhanger. Um, I think that I have a very different style okay. of writing from a lot of a lot of people who have been the big names in podcasting thus far. Um, I don't pretend to be a thriller writer. I don't You're pretend right. to be a J.C. Hutchins. So, um, yeah, I think that just like when people. People who listen to Nathan Lowell know that they're going to get a certain kind of story that breaks 
you know, a good 65% of the rules of storytelling and yet is somehow irresistibly compelling. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, I, I continue to be amazed at how much um, Nathan's stories enrapture me because if you just look at them from a um, critical literary eye, they shouldn't work. I try, yeah, I... I... I sat through uh, a, a drive uh, up through Virginia, uh, listening to the first quarter share book, and I, was, I listened to it and went, "Wow, nothing happened. Why yes. am I listening? Why am I listening to this? Well, let's listen to the next chapter. Man, why am I listening to this? Let's listen to the next chapter." And I literally plowed <laughs> through about fifteen to twenty episodes in one sitting, and I'll still sit there looking at me going, why am I listening to this? What's the next book coming out? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, and, the, you know, that's Nathan's style, and when people listen to his story, you know, they know that that's what they're going to get. Yeah. With mine, people know that they're going to get a lot of character development, a lot of introspection, and a lot of, of exploring of the world that the stories take place in. Having said that, I think that because I don't end every episode on a cliffhanger, I think that that makes the cliffhangers that I do have more effective. Yeah. And the response that I got for the cliffhanger on Chapter 15 would seem to indicate that. I just got an email today from, let's see, uh, actually, no, it came in on the 20th. Um, the first... The first... Uh, paragraph reads as follows you chris lester are a horrible despicable slime ball of a man i cannot believe that any sane human being entrusts their children's education in such a man such as yourself my disdain is that i have to wait two scores some days to the next episode <laughs> that's cool yeah getting the fan fan letters is 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 awesome <laughs> uh is there a is there a race, a breed, or a creature in fantasy or science fiction that you just say will never be in Metamore? Um, there are no dwarves in Metamore. I was going to ask that, yeah. Cause, there will never be any dwarves in Metamore. Because you, you, you know that world just lends itself to having Billy just show up as, as a detective at some point. <laughs> he, he, you know, he gets thrown into an early cryo chamber or something like that. <laughs> Some German super scientist locks him in a cryo chamber. It unlocks. There he is. He's just solving. You know, he's working with the uh, Metamore PD. <laughs> that would actually be a, a pretty fun fanfic if someone wanted to write it. Um, you know, I, I love Billy, but uh, dwarves are just—they're not a part of the setting. Um, we but do he got have, elves. We do have elves. Um, <laughs> We don't have orcs either, um, oh. although there are some um, there are some similarities between Lutons and orcs, but not as many as you might think. Um, I think that if anything, the uh, the Lutons probably have more in common with the uh, the orcs of Warcraft in the sense of being a um, you know, a, a people who are sort of, they're deeply spiritual in their own way and uh, are connected in, in a, a powerful way to the land 
and to the uh, the animals and, and spirits that inhabit the land. Uh, I'd love to get into a, a closer look at uh, Luton society in Metamore City, particularly since uh, you take an, a, a shamanistic and animistic sort of uh, faith like this, and you drop it into the middle of you know a place that it, it is as artificial as Metamore is. It would be an interesting thing to explore, but uh, well, you know, they're, physically they don't really look much like uh, much like orcs, and there are, there are definitely enough differences that they uh, they deserve to be treated as a separate thing and not just orcs rebranded. Well, um, it, well, if they're with the World of Warcraft orcs, and you have to have Merlafferty do it because didn't she write uh, canon for that? I think, and the. Yeah, in the RPG. Yeah, it's, it's always so weird that that so many people in podcasting and fiction and even in just regular straight old fiction have have uh, their ties in, in RPG games. Uh, but the other thing though is is as cool as Metamore City is, you get the feeling that that's the only like beacon in the entire universe, and there's just nothing outside of it. Yeah, I mean, part of that is the limitations of the story format. Um, you know, Metamore City is definitely unique in its world. There's okay. no there's no other city like it because there's no other city that has the unique combination of factors of um, number one, the curse, number two, um, the Citadel um, with its intelligent and, you know, basically... The, you, you've got a city that that uh, has a demigoddess living right in the center of it. I mean, that's not something that can be replicated um, to other places in the world. Um, and the uh, the high mag the high uh, magic levels, which make the construction of the city possible, and the constrained geography, the fact that it's you've got 15 million people living in a space the size of Manhattan Island. Um, you know, there, there was nowhere to go but up. Hmm. You know, that, that sort of construction is not something that people would do just for the heck of it. There has to be a good reason for it. And uh, in the case of Metamore City, it was the need to try to pack as many people as possible into a fairly... Um, inconvenient geographical location um, you know there weren't there were um, definitely historical reasons why people wanted to stay close to the citadel you know the, there are other areas of the uh, the world that are of interest but if I were to explore all of them it would take centuries <laughs> well that's why you have it as a open. Uh, 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 how do you define it as an, a shared plane universe? Or yeah, I mean it's it's not a completely open universe because right. um, things have to be vetted by me before they can appear on the podcast. Um, obviously, there's no way I can stop anyone from writing stories based on the setting, which is why it is a share alike right. um, license. 
Well, if I ever wrote anything, I would definitely run it by you first before I tagged with Metamore City. So I certainly appreciate that. (laughs) That's you know that's a a courtesy thing, and so you know I my my branding it as a uh, uh, attribution share alike license was pretty much my acknowledgement of the fact that I can't control what people do with it. Um, But uh, there will be other stories that will explore um, places outside of Metamore City proper. Um, there's a short story that I debuted at um, at Balticon that took place... Um, well, it involved... It, it took place in the city, but it involved characters who were from uh, one of the outlying provinces of the Metamore Empire. Uh, there's another short story that I've written but have not yet figured out how to convert to audio... Um, which takes place in uh, the city of Pyralis, which is uh, one of the major cities along the southern coast of the continent. Um, So there will be um, explorations and forays uh, further afield. The uh, the next story that I'm writing, writing, the next big novel, after making the cut, involves some characters going to a very interesting um, geographical feature known as the Rift, which hmm. is the aftermath of a uh, basically it, it is their world's um, Hiroshima incident uh, or Hiroshima um, people using a spell of devastating power to basically wipe an enemy nation off of the map and in the process they cracked open the earth's crust and exposed a life-aspected mana spring. So the area has grown back into this riotous jungle that is filled with life forms that have been influenced by extremely high levels of life-aspected mana, which has some very interesting, odd effects. And uh, the so- whole... Are, yeah. are you are you planning on, on selling this in a book, or are you planning on grabbing the role playing game companies with this one? Because I, I I see you could either go both way both ways with this, you know. Because mm-hmm. I got I got some friends in, in in the in the indie gaming industry that would probably be be interested. I, I guess that would be the question: that would you be opened up for people trying to make adaptations of of, of this for an RPG or a live action RPG of some kind? If somebody wants to talk to me about doing an RPG, I am more than open to that. Um, I don't have the time or the expertise to do it. You know, the I, I'm definitely would be interested in seeing something like that in print. Um, in terms of the novels, I would like to see them in print someday and uh, anthology collections of the short stories, but we're a long ways away from that yet. Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, it, the one thing was well, in an early interview you were talking about how um, that it wasn't so much a matter of, of, of worrying about print or the print media, you know, the survival of that in the future, and that there is you're, you're probably have more people right now listening um, and intrigued and excited, and more and this story's more real for more people than it would be than. If you actually got some money and got it printed by a small print company, and just you know, and you're sitting outside a small store hawking the books yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean there's there's no question, but that uh, podcasting has allowed me to reach a much bigger audience than I would have been able to trying to to sell the book on my own or or even promote it through a uh, an established small press. I mean, the the average um, you know first time author you know with a mass market paperback release only sells a few thousand copies. So there's you know. I think that I've I've got much more penetration into people's consciousness doing it this way than I I could have um, trying to go a traditional route. Okay. Uh, now on a, a serious question, we could cut this one if you don't want to go this way. But with fifty thousand plus podcast, fifty k plus podcasts coming out, um, where do you see podcasting stand when everybody has a podcast and it's just as easy to have a podcast as a blog? Well, I don't think it'll ever be as easy to have a podcast as a blog because the technical aspects of it are much, you know, they, they are a barrier to entry just because they involve a time investment. True. Is there for a blog. Um, well, yeah, but they're, they're still making a lot simpler though. You know, and I, and I, and I, and I get the feeling from a lot of the people that start out the trailblaze for you, for me, and for a lot of other podcasters out there that they see suddenly the rooms are more crowded and there's a, bit of a riff uh, uh, from it, just a bit, that's starting to make them a little bit nervous. Um, that, you know, it's going to be harder to stand out in the future. I mean, do you do you see that as a concern, that, you know, the market might be flooded with not as good material and that, that, the, that the good material might be, uh, m- might, might, uh, 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 might not rise to the top? I think that, um, I think... I think that there will be ways of people distinguishing quality content from content that is more amateurish um, and not just in terms of production values. Right. Um, one thing about the whole concept of new media is that the audience is very actively involved. Yeah. And uh, I think I am- that... I am playing devil's advocate on that question, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that um, there are ways for people to get word about word out about what they think is quality. I think that shows that um, are well produced are going to con- generate more positive word of mouth. They're going to, you know, those are the shows that you're going to see getting mentioned. In places like the Podcast Peer Awards, where we um, just won for best production, woohoo! Yay! Um, you're going to see that more people are going to be willing to play their promos. Um, yeah. There's going to be, you know, th- there are ways of getting word out about your show, um, but you have to make it interesting enough. You have to make it engaging enough to catch people's interest. And the other here's the other thing about podcasting is that I think that part of what people respond to is not just the quality of the the product, but they respond to the personality behind it. Um, yeah. If you, you know, I, I think that a lot of podcast authors, and I'm not going to name names, 
Mm-hmm. But I think that... Oh, you can if you want to. I ain't going to stop no, you. No, <laughs> I, I, work with these <laughs> I understand. Um, I'm joking, Jeff. I think that a good number of podcast authors have been successful at least as much because they are interesting and entertaining personalities as because of the quality of their writing. Yeah. Um, I've listened to stories that were really nothing special compared to a lot of what is available out there in the traditional markets, but because it is A, free, and B, um, something that is being offered with the opportunity to engage the creator in a dialogue, it makes it more compelling and more captivating and fosters more loyalty than it would if you were just um, exposed to this content through traditional means. There are authors who I have read um, who are put out through you know, mass market paperbacks or even hardcovers who I enjoyed their books, but I don't feel the same loyalty to them that I feel towards somebody like uh, Pip Ballantyne or T. Morris or um, Mer Lafferty, because those are people who I have some, you know, I have a relationship with through the, you know, the process of interacting with them, you know, as yeah. a as a listener and as a fellow podcaster. And I'm partially playing devil's advocate in this one, but this is a concern of mine, though. Do you think that podcast might become the music video of literature and that certain writers who can't produce or don't have the vocal charisma or can't organize the vocal charisma might not be able to get the jump or the edge that people that are better at audio production in writing. I think it's possible, but um, we've already seen authors who found ways around that. Um, I mean, look at uh, Matt Wallace with uh, Variant Frequencies. He did not feel um, as confident in his, you know, persona or I, you know, his ability to be the the showman for his material. Um, so he collaborated with, uh, you know, with Rick Stringer and you know yeah. got Variant Frequencies going and used that as the uh, the outlet for his work. Um, you know, so there are, there are ways around it. There are, one thing that there's no shortage of in the podcasting community is opportunities for collaboration. That's there true. Are always people who are willing to work with you and to, to shore you up in areas where you're weak, um, as long as you are not a complete ass to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I- yeah, <laughs> we'll leave that one where it lies. But hey, uh, thanks you for uh, sharing your time with us, Chris. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure, Jack. Thanks for having me on. The horror of the darkness. Are you willing to suffer to gain the revenge you seek, soft one? There's nothing that happens without price here in the swamp. The tyranny of the light. The good father has been dealt with by the justice of the light. And my order has returned to rule Rathurkin. We will begin again the penance that you should have been receiving all this time, Alabar. Heart of the Hunter is a complete fantasy novel on MP3, available for free 
at heartofthehunter.com. Do you believe in the balance? Music used was Andrew Pfaff's beer, available at the Podsafe Music Network. Other sounds used were from Digital Juice.